You're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Once again, talking with Dr. Andrew Hafes, aquatic biologist at Bemidji State. Andy, we do not have a specific problem for you to solve today. <laughs> We've been doing that? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I'd like to think so. <laughs> um, just want to talk to you a little bit about the aquatic biology program at Bemidji State because uh, it's it certainly recognizes one of the one of the best ones in the nation, right? I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are. I, you know, I don't know how many aquatic biology programs are out there, but I know that Bemidji State, over the years, has been involved in a lot of really important research projects uh, to the, for the state of Minnesota. Sure. Well, we're in a prime location, right? They say there's 500 lakes within 50 miles of Bemidji State University, and uh, Lake Bemidji is right on the campus. And then there's also a DNR headquarters adjacent to the campus as well. So. Yeah. That's just some great resources for the students uh, and for the faculty to be able to do research and make connections. There's, and every now and then when, when you're answering a question, you'll say, well, we've actually been doing some research on this for sure. the state. Talk to me a little bit about some of the things you have done and are doing for the state of Minnesota. Yep, I've run my research lab much like a USGS co-op where you kind of, the agencies around the area, if they have issues that they you know, questions they need to answer. Uh, graduate students are, are really good at doing that, and undergrads are really good at helping out as well and, and answering those questions. So I've done a lot of, most of my research projects are working with the DNR right now, okay. where uh, they've had questions related to whether the stocking in Lake Andrusia, the walleye stocking there, is having an impact on that ecosystem, positive or negative, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's one of the research projects that we're working on right now. We're um, the fry that were stocked the last couple of years have had a, a, they've been soaked in a chemical called oxytetracycline, and that puts a fluorescent mark in their bones, essentially the ear bone that they have their otolith. Oh, so okay. when the DNR go back out and sample fish, we can bring those fish into the lab and look at that bone under a microscope and see which fish are from the stocking, which ones aren't, how far they've moved, all kinds of things like that. So that's been a really neat project. Uh, that is ongoing right now and will continue to go on for the next, uh, you know, extended period, hopefully. Uh, in the past, we've done a nice research project on the Tamarack River up on Red Lake on the pelican population up there, and mm-hmm. we estimated how many of the walleye that they were consuming in relation to the natural mortality in the system. And, it, uh, you know, the locals in the area saw a pretty extraordinary pelican population taking advantage of that run up there. Uh, and it turns out that they're consuming less than 1% of that ecosystem, you know, the walleye present there. So the natural mortality in the system was dwarfing, right, the mortality that was occurring specifically from the pelicans. Oh, so, okay. Uh, some really valuable research up there to learn about the ecology of both of those two species and to give the managers in the area some really good info to determine whether they should be, you know, how they should be managing that. Uh, okay. So, Let's see, uh, done some pike, on, some northern pike work uh, on an unharvested system down in Shingabee Lake. Oh, okay. Yep, there was a, a pike population down there that just hadn't been harvested at all for a decade, and they had almost all of the fish in the system marked. So we had really good population dynamics, uh, you know, estimates of mortality, how big they were getting, what they were growing at, and we can compare those to harvested systems. So that was a neat one. What did we find? I find that, I'm yeah, really curious uh, on this one. Old slow growing fish right yeah and they're big they got okay. they got big if you pike are pretty susceptible to angling and if you don't harvest them 
uh, they can re- the population can respond. But okay. English are really good at taking. <laughs> it's not surprising, right? A pike. Right. That's why we fish for them is because they're aggressive and they hit yeah. lures readily. And so there was definitely a response. It seemed like uh, you know that that lake had a very different population dynamics than the recreational fished, the ones that have been recreationally fished. So did you come up with a, um, a, a plan, an idea, something you presented to them? Maybe we should do this or that? Well, no, not really. It's it was just more like information to help them guide their decisions. I, I mean, it's we don't want to shut down and make fisheries recreational, catch and, no, catch and release only. They're right. Being, uh, but And I think there's a lot of stuff in play right now with the northern pike regs, right, yeah. that are trying to address that issue. And this provided evidence to say that, yeah, we probably should have been taking some of those steps that were taken uh, recently. Okay. So, I know prior to your time, um, Bemidji State's aquatic biology program was very involved with a project for uh, Northland Tackle, helped them create a really, really effective artificial bait. Sure. Uh, the previous professor, Dr. Kultman. Yeah. Uh, we still have the fish tanks down in our lab that were part of that experiment, and there was 30 tanks purchased through the part of that research. Uh, and we still have those and use those today. Uh, but, yeah, if you look closely at the back of that Northland Tackle, I think it says something like help with help from uh, local universities. or Oh, okay. Yeah. Because that, uh, I don't know what they determined, but they discovered something that they really liked. Right. And a scent that that seemed to, it wasn't so much that they responded more, but when they responded, it was definitive. Right. And I think it was a surprising result. It was some, they were looking at some and they weren't working very well. And then all of a sudden, bang, they found this new one. And uh, yeah, that's really helped Northland tackle. Okay. How many students are in uh, your aquatic biology program? At any point in time, there's uh, 70 to 80 okay. right now. Uh, the numbers seem to be increasing slightly. There was a period of rapid growth, and now it seems to be leveling off a little bit. Uh, but still, great numbers okay. uh, and a, a lot of really, really great students. They're really excited about this. And are you the only actual aquatic biology professor no no oh, there's it's a really nice setup uh, i kind of and the the fisheries you know specialist mm-hmm. and then we have dr cook who is a wetlands and the lakes specialist and that he kind of heads up the wetlands emphasis within the major okay there's a fisheries biology emphasis which i kind of take the core classes for the the seniors and then dr debbie gilda is the third and okay. she is a entomologist aquatic entomologist so she can identify invertebrates really well and she's also a, a really good stream ecologist so that's okay. kind of her specialty so three emphases right aquatic systems uh, wetlands ecology and then fisheries biology that you can choose from dr andrew haves aquatic biologist at bemidji state university discussing that incredible program we'll talk more with andy next christian paul bunyan country where fishing is more important than pretty much everything. This is Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Dr. Andy Hapes, my guest today, no stranger to the show. He is our resident aquatic biologist from Bemidji State University. The topic today, though, is Bemidji State's aquatic biology program. The majority of people who come into this uh, program, what are they looking to do career-wise? I think 
the majority of them coming in probably want to be a, a biologist, right? A, a management biologist through the DNR. But there's a lot of other opportunities. We've placed quite a few people with private consulting companies, um, pollution control agency. Uh, my hope for undergrads that come in is that they just keep their options open. They're willing to move around the country. They keep their GPA up mm-hmm. uh, high enough over 3.0 so that they can kind of travel and, and have grad school as an option. It's, it's neat in this field that, you know, all these research projects that I've mentioned, they're funded so I can pay my graduate students to come to school. It's not like med school where you're 200000 in debt when yeah. you're done, right? You're your, your grad school and your PhD, if you go on, should be paid for and your classes should be paid for, assuming you can keep your GPA up and, you know, be ambitious as an undergrad. And we've been pretty successful at placing students at Stevens Point and in Arkansas, all over the country, essentially, in grad schools where they're getting paid. And then hopefully after that, they either go on for their PhD or become a management biologist or a research biologist somewhere. Well, you've you found your career track taking you into the education field. You're now a doctor, obviously, and, and teaching classes. Um, what was your plan, and, and how did you get interested in this to begin with? So my third, it took me five years to graduate undergrad because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I thought I was <laughs> going to be a golf course superintendent. You know, I just, <laughs> wow. That's what I had done. I had worked on a golf course all through high school, and you just don't know. But my third year in college, I met a professor named Dr. Michael Hansen, and he took us his class that I was in out electrofishing on a lake, and I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world yeah. to capture fish like that. I was used to the old hook and line method, right, where sometimes it takes you over an hour to catch a fish when you're poor like I am. <laughs> but uh, Yeah, so that was kind of what triggered it, my interest, and he was a really good advisor in that he pushed me hard in my classes. He said, don't take the easy route through math. So he pushed me through a hard route. I took math class almost every year. And then I did a fairly decent on a test that to get into grad school called the GRE. So I never planned on going to grad school or become a doctor. I just applied for jobs, applied for schools, and had jobs lined up. And then schools offered, and I went that route instead because I was having fun. And I okay. liked, liked fisheries research. And then you had a few interesting jobs along the way. Yep, I went studied smallmouth bass, uh, population dynamics in Arkansas. Down there, the rivers dry up, at least the part of the country that I was in. Yeah. Uh, the rivers become really dry in the summer, so it's just a series of pools, like little mini ponds, and there's no riffles or runs anymore. So we tagged a bunch of fish right before that happened to see if they were dying or moving, and it turns out they were smart enough to find those pools uh, before the dry period or they had already been there. Right. Okay. So that was uh, my master's was studying smallmouth bass in Arkansas, and then I studied brook trout condition in West Virginia in the Appalachian Mountains for my Ph.D. And then I went out west to California and studied Chinook salmon uh, in the Merced River just outside of Yosemite, uh, working with bioenergetics. So you hear me talk about energy and consumption once in a while on these shows, and uh, that's where I really strengthened that part of my background was understanding why fish eat and how they expend energy swimming, and why they choose to live where they are. It was yeah. that project. This may seem like a weird question, but do you scuba dive? No. no. I would think that would be something you'd be interested in. Yeah, so I took scuba class as an undergrad. But the uh, final step was to, during the summer, and I did that my senior year, and I had to go to Arkansas for my master's degree. Oh. So I never got fully certified in that class. I loved it in the pools and everything when I was doing it. And 
you know that we do have a scuba club here on campus, and I should maybe consider doing that. <laughs> well, I yeah, I just happen to have one of my best friends is is really he and his wife are really into scuba diving, and I would and I was thinking, you know, all these questions I ask Andy and all this stuff that I'm interested in, I should take up scuba diving just so I can get that kind of view of what's going on. <laughs> yeah, and I've been really into thinking about like doing some snorkeling around here during the summer too, and just getting that underwater view and watching fish when they're. You know, it seems like they're not quite as in- intimidated by you when you're swimming around as when you're in a boat casting for them. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, Darby and Jerry Nelson were are good donors for the school, and he wrote a book about that. And in that book, he talked about all this uh, scuba diving that he had done around the area, and that seemed really – or the, the uh, snorkeling that he had done around the area, and I, I, I want to do that. So, Well, you'd actually know what they were doing down there. You'd understand <laughs> I, what's going on some more of than it, I would. Maybe, right? <laughs> Well, it's it's uh, it's you know obviously a great program at Bemidji State, and it's something that uh, it really is part of the Bemidji State culture. We've talked; they got a strong fishing team. Sure, I remember uh, a report that was done. It wasn't an official academic report, but a guy who had uh, done some study of, a, of of different universities and declared Bemidji State to be the number one university for people who are interested in fishing. Sure. Um, uh, so, I mean, it it. Aquatic biology just seems like a natural for this place. Right, you can't you can't beat it for the location, um, mm-hmm. and the program is getting stronger and stronger. I think, and hopefully that trend continues, and that we become more recognized nationally. And, and your show here is helping that happen. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, we do what we can. Yeah. Yes, and it's uh, it's amazing what uh, podcasting can do. Right. Get it out there for people. Um, anything new that you'll be working on this year? Um, yeah, I just brought on a student, Tyler Oregon, who works with the Red Lake DNR. And okay. we're going to develop a research project up there uh, with him and through his uh, job. And I think the way that's looking right now is we're going to start to look at some of the mercury loading okay. into the Red Lakes and make sure that the consumption advisories up there are uh, accurate so that everybody's eating healthy fish. And I'm, I'm really interested to see what – he's a sharp, sharp guy. I'm really interested to see what comes out of that. And I'm really excited to make that new connection with – Thread Lake DNR office. So, okay. Well, any I was trying to think how many years we've been doing this now. It's got to be what going on five. Got to be. I'm, I'm in my seventh year at BSU. Okay. Um, it goes so fast. I don't <laughs> tell me about it. So I, you know, I really appreciate the conversations we've been able to have. I think it adds a real great element to the show, and uh, and I just wanted to get a little more of a background on the on the program itself. So thank you for all you've done for this show. We really appreciate it. Thank you, and look forward to working with you again. Oh, you can count on it. <laughs> all right. We have actually already recorded several more questions for the aquatic biologist you'll hear before the end of this year. Coming up next, though, we're talking pickles. Well, pickled fish. Stick around. Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. So a couple of interesting things to wrap it up today. One of the cool things about being able to podcast this show on Podcast One and iTunes is you get to find out where people are listening to this show. Now, Obviously, there's a ton of people here in the uh, Paul Bunyan Country area listening on KB101 and KBUN-FM, unquestionably. But now with the podcast, you can go anywhere in the world. And it also shows you a breakdown of where people are listening. Well, not surprising. Most of them are listening in the United States, and most of them are listening in Minnesota. But the top city for downloading the Fish and Paul Bunyan Country podcast. It says Minneapolis. I'm assuming that's more the metro area in general, but it says Minneapolis. Uh, Almost 24% are downloading from Minneapolis. Bemidji is second at just over 5%. Again, I would guess the bulk 
of the listening area here is taking advantage of the radio feed or maybe going to our website and checking it out there. We've also got some listeners in Ashburn, Virginia, Lyons, Georgia, and even a couple in Elk River. Now, here's where it gets interesting. If you look at the states, obviously, well over 50% of our United States listeners are in Minnesota. But we've got 6.54% in Illinois, 4.09% in Virginia, 3.89% in Colorado, and 3.68% in California. Go to the top countries. Almost 95% of our listenership is in the United States through the podcast. But the number two nation taking the Fish and Paul Bunyan Country podcast is Kuwait, 2.52%. 2.13% in Canada. We've got 0.39% listening in Australia and 0.19% in Ireland. So, for those of you not in our immediate wheelhouse but are listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country anyway, I'd be real curious to those of you in California, Colorado, Virginia, even Illinois, what brings you to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, and why you're listening, and where you're listening from specifically. And I'm really curious who the people in Kuwait are that are listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. I suspect it might be some of our brave men and women in the military who might have some Minnesota ties that are stationed over there. Uh, but I'd like to know. Let me know. And Canada. Who in Canada is listening? Why? Australia. And the one guy in Ireland. Please tell me who you are, why you're listening to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. I'm really curious to find out. I think it would be great. How do you do that? You can just email me. Jackson at pbbroadcasting.com. Jackson at pbbroadcasting.com. Or if you can get to our uh, Facebook page, the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Facebook page, just post a little note. Who you are, where you're listening from. I would find it really interesting. Thanks very much. All right. Wrapping it up, talking about pickled fish. So here's the deal. One of our local listeners, Nick Wicker of Bemidji, very nice man, really appreciated him doing this. He had heard one of our shows uh, where we were talking about northerns and a lot of people not catching northerns, not liking northerns, not knowing how to debone them and those types of things. So he came in to defend the northern, and he brought me a sample of his pickled fish, and it was absolutely delicious. He also gave me his pickled fish recipe. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing on the air, but I am going to post it on that same Facebook page, the Paul Bunyan Country Facebook page. So if you are interested in Nick Wickern's pickled fish recipe, go to our Facebook page and check it out. That's going to wrap it up for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thanks for joining us. And again, those of you listening, wherever you're listening, let me know why you're listening and exactly where you're listening from. M-F-I-S-H-I-I-N, Paul Bunyan Country.